0: Let's take uh, a moment of silence to reflect on that question. Is it well with your soul? Silence can be tough, can it? Uh, we are a people who like to move from one thing to the next quickly. Silence can be deafening. Some of us hate radio silence. Some of us don't even know what the radio is anymore. Pop quiz What is the shortest book in all of the Bible? Third John. Thanks. Uh, It's close to Second John. Third John has 219 words in the original language, Second John has 245 words in the original language. Shortest book in all of the Bible. Yet one of the first statements that we see in 3rd John, uh, it is a statement from the elder. Scholarship mainly agrees that this is John the elder, the apostle whom Jesus loved, the oldest disciple of Jesus now. Now between 80 to 100 years old, he's writing to address the undermining of two really big themes in the Christian life, the undermining of truth and the undermining of love. And so this is what the Word says in 3 John, very first verse, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. See those two themes played out even in the very first verse? Verse two, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well in the greek that's the word psyche soul what does it mean for one's soul to be getting along well i like how the king james version says it even as thy soul prospereth the soul maybe your mind goes to the psalm of david in psalm 62 Psalm 62, 1, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. In the Hebrew, that word soul is nefesh. When's the last time that someone told you, hey, this is how you do it? Maybe you've had your phone out trying to figure out something on your phone at some point, and someone around you grabs it and says, no, 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 this is how you do it. Uh, maybe you've played a sport or been in a band and a coach or a band director comes alongside you and says, no, 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 this, this is how you do it. <laughs> this is how you box out. This is how you make that pass. This is how you catch that ball. This is how you play that note. This is how you do it. This is something that occurs in everyday life. And we're either on the giving end or on the receiving end of a this is how you do it. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, remember that church that was birthed in Acts chapter 16 that we talked about last week, that its very first convert displayed radical hospitality, Lydia. And in The Philippian letter, this is what Paul is going to say. He's going to say, this is how you do it. Whatever you learn from me, put this into practice. This is the words that Paul uses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So we've been in this series, that uh, we've been calling Practicing the Kingdom." Uh, We've been in our 40 days of prayer considering what it looks like to become kingdom-devoted disciples, making disciples of nations and generations. I'm going to talk about that today in our Catch the Vision class a little more in depth. But we want to see Jesus' words come to life, the words that Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see this lived out in our lives. Yet what we seem to be experiencing as a society, and the church is not excluded from this, is burnout, exhaustion, stress. Should I keep on going? In his new book, at your best, author and podcaster Kerry Newoff notes that according to a study of 7,500 full-time American employees, more than 70% of adults in their 20s and 30s are experiencing at least some level of burnout. That means a stunning number of young adults are feeling worn out from their work and life before they even hit their 40th birthday. And this is, this is not just young people. Retired people are stressed. I've heard this comment from those who are retired. I'm busier now than I was when I worked. Anybody relate to that? I don't know how I even had time to work, as busy as I am now. These are comments that we make, and so we end up saying things like, if I, if I can just get to the weekend, or if I can just get to, to this next vacation, and sure, those times are rejuvenating, and those times can be helpful, but what Carrie Newhoff points out is this is that time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. So last week we talked about practicing hospitality. A kingdom practice. That's a fundamental Christian identity, a practice that was scarred during the pandemic. And the irony is that today's topic is really something that the pandemic allowed or forced many of us to practice, to slow down, and to care for our own souls. Now let me be very clear, the pandemic was not good for anybody. That's not the point. Yet as I've mentioned before, uh, John Ortberg once called up the late Dallas Willard and asked him, What do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? And on the other end of the line, Dallas Willard responded with one one phrase. He said that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. And I've told you before, John Ortberg was taking notes. He said, okay, what else? And Dallas Willard said, that's it. So Dallas Willard mentored John Ortberg, John Ortberg mentored a guy named John Mark Comer who wrote a book called Ruthlessly, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and time off does not cure this unsustainable pace. Another quote from New Office: a sustainable pace is the solution for an unsustainable pace so we go back to Philippians chapter 4 Paul says to pray and Paul says to think pray And think. Paul says, pray about everything and think about these things. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, lovely, whatever's admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Yet if we're honest, we allow the news media, we allow social media, we allow posts and scrolling and news feeds to feed us what? Whatever is untrue, whatever is unholy, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is vicious and blameworthy, these are the things that are fed to us daily. And is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? How are you going to practice the goodness of the Creator if you feed your mind only on the enemy's distortion of creation? The enemy can't create anything. All that the enemy can do is distort that which God has created. And so over the Christmas break, I, I made a decision that I was going to take all social media apps off of my phone. And I would only check social media on my computer in moderation, but taking them off of my phone. And you know what I figured out? Here it is, the end of January, and I still haven't put those back on my phone yet, <laughs> and I haven't missed them. I have actually feel like my, my, my soul is not hurting as much as my soul once hurt. It was clouding my capacity to think about what Paul calls the church in Philippi to think about. This is some of what uh, Jackson and Brooks Pruitt are talking about on Sunday mornings in their class, going online in a handbasket got to sit down with them this week. really enjoyed spending some time with the brothers. But this is a situation that we find ourselves in on a regular basis. And and let me also be clear that I am not suggesting that this needs to be your strategy. That was my strategy. Taking those off of my phone was my strategy. I'm not saying that it has to be your strategy. But I beg you to sit with this question. How are you going to take steps to fill your mind with all the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and celebrate? And then Paul makes this comment, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Scholar N.T. Wright says it this way, he says, this is one of the most demanding ethical commands anywhere in the Bible. Not so much for those who receive it, though no doubt it's that as well, but for the person who gives it. I mean, which one of us can say, you want to follow Jesus? Do what I do. Practice what I do. I remember growing up in the congregation that I grew up in, and one of the elders when I was doing youth ministry there, I, he invited me to go with him to Miss Winters. Anybody been to Miss Winters? Talk about the goodness of God. <laughs> and we go to Miss Winters, and, and we're, we're talking, and he, he's got a few sons. And he tells me, he says, Brett, he says, I told my sons that they could do anything that they see me do. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. And then he came back to say, and, and I, I do like to drive fast. And so both of my boys have gotten a few speeding tickets, but I've told them that they could do anything that I do. I thought, man, what a bold statement that is. Do I live my life in such a way that I could tell my children, hey, anything that you see me do, you can do. And ultimately, we know that the, the one that we follow is Jesus. So what did the Paul statement mean? What did the Philippian church see in Paul? How did Paul practice soul care? What did Paul say back in chapter one? I mean, if you think about there's not this prescriptive list in scripture of how Paul cared for his soul. It's not like, okay, step one, here you go. Step two, here you go. We don't find prescriptions in scripture. What we find is this narrative that that tells us, that that shows us how life is lived. And so we see this as as we discover how Paul cared for his soul. And and back in chapter 1 in Philippians, what do we read? Philippians 1-3, I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, i always pray with joy. But it's not just in Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi. Look on the screen, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Colossians 1. Starting in verse 9, for this reason, since today we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It's a gift of the Spirit. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul practiced caring for his soul so that he could better care for souls Amen. and I believe that he learned this from Jesus before Jesus taught his disciples how to pray his disciples caught that he prayed they saw it practiced in his own life Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. During our 40 days of prayer, uh, we've asked you, as your health allows, to, to fast from one meal every Friday, to pray and to fast. Before this verse in Mark 1, we read that, that Jesus prayed and fasted for 40 days in the wilderness we get to luke chapter 11 verse 1 the word says one day jesus was praying in a certain place it's been a dream of mine to to have a room somewhere in this building or even a place carved out in the woods back here or something that just a place where people can come and pray and to call it a certain place The word says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus said, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I heard a guy this week saying that he was witnessing to uh, someone who is agnostic, someone who doesn't know whether they believe in God or not. And, and was, the question was, well, well what, what's your plan? <laughs> you know, what's your plan? And he just responded and said, I'm teaching him the Lord's Prayer. That's it. That's it. I want you to listen to these words. Oftentimes we pray them at the end of our service, but today I want you to listen to them as they are sung, and I would encourage you to even close your eyes and listen to these words. Oh My father in law's a cappella gospel group, also including my youth minister growing up, who was the bass that you heard. But as I was praying the Lord's Prayer this week, I was listening to that song. And the words of the prayer just began to wash over me as I have prayed that prayer literally hundreds of times over the past few years. But one phrase in particular just stuck with me, it was that phrase toward the end of the prayer, deliver us from evil. So I I go to the YMCA this week, Uh, it was kind of later in the evening, and I was working out in the the workout area, and there was three uh, high school guys that were also working out, and um, I heard them they were saying a lot of words of profanity and they were talking about how they were going to go out drinking and different things like that and I'm, I'm right there working out next to them and so I'm hearing all this but then I look over and I, I see one of the young men has a, has a cross around his neck and it, it just kind of gets all over me and so I walk up to him and um Laney said I was wearing my Mr. Rogers sweater so I, I looked at especially old. Um but I walked up to him and you know I, I instead of the fifteen pound weights, I grabbed the twenty pound weights so that I can he knows I mean business. Uh, but I just I just asked him, I said, Hey man, what what's that cross mean around your neck? And he, he looks at me and he just he says, uh, uh, "Jesus," and, he, and then immediately he kind of goes into this confession. He says, I, "I know I cuss a lot, but I'm trying to read the Bible and I'm trying to be good." And he said, uh, and then he like kind of catches on. You know, I don't know how like us ministers kind of have this aura about us or whatever. But he <laughs> he's like, "Wait a minute, are you a pastor?" And I, I said. And I thought in my mind, I said, well, I'm church in Christ, so I can, I can legally say no, I'm not. (laughs) And so, but, but I keep, I keep the conversation going and I I just, I just say, um, you know, can I, can I tell you like what that cross means to me? And by this time, the other guys, the two other guys that he's working out with are, are come around. And I said, you know, that that cross means means something really deeply to me. It changed my life. And so now they're all kind of gathered around and listening. And I said, I said, I used to try to be good as well. You know, I, I used to base my life on how good I was, just like what you said. But I said, let me ask you this just to see, you know, or, or how good you think you are. I said, have you ever, have you ever told a lie? He said, he said, yeah. And I said, well, what does that make you? He said, a liar. I said, well, have you ever stolen anything, even something kind of small? He said, yeah, I have. And I said, well, what does that make you? He said, I, I, a thief, I guess. I said, here's the one that got me. Jesus said that if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And I looked at those three guys, and I said, have y'all, ever, have y'all ever done that one? And with a half grin on their face, they said, yeah, yeah, we've done that. I said, then by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterer at heart. I said, "I said, well, one day when you stand before God, what, I mean, what are you going to say for yourself? And they really didn't have a response. and I, And I said, this is... This is how the, the cross has changed my life. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son to take away my sin. To take away those things that I have done wrong in my life. And by this time, they're all kind of tuned in. And, and I said, look, I'm not here to beat you guys up. I want to encourage you, I want, I want you to know that, that there's meaning behind these things that we, we put on, and I said from this day forward I want to encourage you, be very clear about what that cross means. I shook all their hands, got all their names, been praying for them. I want you to know I didn't go into the gym that night with an evangelistic strategy. I didn't go in with tracks and leave them in the bathroom stall hoping that one of those boys would find those. I was simply living out the prayer of Jesus when he said, deliver us from evil. And when we see evil happening in our midst, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, let's get in the way. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. Let's just get in the way. And introduce the one who takes away the evil, who removes the evil. Deliver us from evil, Jesus, pray. And so, are we going to live the prayer? we're going to live this prayer of Jesus. If we're going to practice soul care, I believe we're going to have to practice the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, we take a moment every week to, to sing a song and to allow you to do a little soul reflection, a little soul care. Uh, and, and we have shepherds that come down front, and we have shepherds that meet in a back room and and just allow you an opportunity to to spend a moment with them because they care for your soul. I believe that. And so today may be a day that you want to just come and spend a few moments with one of our shepherds in prayer today. may be the day that you want to say, you know what, I'm so thankful that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and I want to place my faith and trust in Him. And I want to be baptized into Christ and live the Christ life. And if those, any, any, either of those are something that we can help you with today, that's what we want to be about. So I going to ask you to bow your hearts, bow your heads as we go to God in prayer during this time. And then we're going to spend a few moments just being still and knowing that God is God. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the way that a simple prayer can change our lives, that Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, that 2,000 years later, we would still find meaning and depth and, and worth in those words. Those words would continue to convict us and change us and transform us. Uh, God, we, we realize that that's Jesus doing the work inside of us we realize that that's your holy spirit doing its work inside of us and so i just pray that you will continue to convict us that you will continue to to transform us by the renewing of our minds as paul says i, I pray that we will be a people that um, live that which we proclaim live that which we pray but i pray for uh, every person in this room uh, for uh, the, the suffering that is happening, for the joy that is happening. Uh, Father, may we hold hands with both. Uh, Father, I pray for uh, us as a faith family as we are continuing through this 40 days of prayer that, that you're doing a work inside of us that uh, that only you can do. Uh, Father, may we be faithful uh, in responding to the work that you're doing inside of us. Uh, Father, as as a church family we acknowledge and proclaim that you can do immeasurably more than we even ask for or imagine that you're a big God and so father we we lay these things at your your feet we present these requests before you and we pray that our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ will guard our hearts and guard our minds in Christ Jesus today and in the days to come we love you God Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.